Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Marketing and Cupcakes podcast. Mike Conley here with John Sertino. Today, John is about to break something down super special. One of the things he taught me a while ago, and I thought he was crazy when I first heard it. He says, the Swiss cheese method, Mike, the Swiss cheese method. I'm like, what the heck is the Swiss cheese method? So John's going to break that down. And trust me, after he's done, you're going to love it. And, and you're going to be able to apply it and, and do some amazing things with it. John, how are you doing today? Good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. So Swiss cheese, what's that got to do with business and marketing and all this stuff? Well, first of all, I heard this from somebody else who was a successful entrepreneur. I don't recall who it was, but I attended, you know, uh, I learned as much as I can while I was at the teddy bear company from other people. I think that's important. And one entrepreneur, business owner, told, said this thing about the Swiss cheese method. And it completely clicked with me. Swiss cheese is the only cheese that's got holes in it. So you think about a block of cheese and then you turn it in to uh, Swiss and then eventually the cheese is all gone because you keep poking holes into it. So if you think of business like, you know, a block of cheese with no holes in it, um, when you're running your business, there's different things you need to do to poke holes in it. You know, you need to do bookkeeping, accounting, you need to do um, taxes, open up your mail, you know, develop some kind of sales and marketing strategy, evaluate the marketing and sales strategy. There's a lot of pieces to it. And yep. each piece is work. Each piece is like a whole. And sometimes the, the piece that you put together isn't the right piece. For example, at the teddy bear company, I started making teddy bears and I thought, what I needed to do was learn how to sell a bear and make a bear, buy the materials and all that stuff like that. So I went to my local fabric shop and I bought some patterns and I pulled out an old sewing machine and I began making the bears. I was quite proud of myself, but the bears were really ugly. But they were beautiful, okay? But I learned a lot about sewing and pattern making and things like that. I learned a lot about stuffing. I learned a lot about what kind of eyes to put into a teddy bear. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of holes in making a teddy bear. So, you know, I made this teddy bear and I thought, oh, this is great. Now I'm just going to go out and start selling it. Well, I I went out and started selling it, but the thing was nobody was buying it. I put them in gift shops and nobody bought my bears. And I, although I kept trying. So that hole wasn't a good hole. I said, well, I got to make better bears because the bear I'm making doesn't. My, my solution to my problem was to make better bears. So I made better bears and I copied or imitated some other companies like Gund, who makes a lot of stuffed animals, and did a brochure with all these. I think I made like, I don't know, everything from a panda to a koala bear to, you know, a lot of, I thought they were really cool looking bears. Then I set up a sales network around the entire country of independent salespeople that would go out into stores in gift shops and try to sell my bears and my sales really didn't get very far. And again, my bears weren't selling. But a lot of times you, you put stuff on a shelf and if it's a good product, then you restock the shelf and then you know you got something good going on. Makes sense. Well, again, um, while I was doing that, I also had other holes to fix. Like I wasn't bringing in enough money to pay the people that were working with me to uh, there was probably a year and a half or so where um, the money was so tight that the um, I had about let's say 
nine and 10 employees, and they decided amongst themselves whether to deposit the check. You know, so the one person would say, you know, not to me, but they figured it out amongst themselves because there was only a certain amount of money in the bank. And if everybody went to the bank, checks would, you know, get bounced. Mm. So they knew what position I was in and they really tried and helped and they, um, you know, they amongst themselves decided who was going to cast their check first and things like that. That's actually pretty cool that they did that. Just impressive. This that speaks volume to the type leader that you were to them for them to want to do that. That's amazing. Well, I was reminded by it because, like, on I think sixty minutes they did a story about the head of Federal Express and a, a woman who was like one of his first employees said, "Yeah, we had to. We didn't have enough money, to, you know, to, so we decided, you know, who would cast their cheat. The same thing that happened to me happened to the head of Federal wow. And look at how big the guy got. You know, yeah. I, I, I just want to, I, because I want to harp on this for a little bit, because it's one of the things that I deal with with standout truck and building, building what I build. And I learned this from you too, John. Like you keep telling people that compliment me on business, and I say so much of what I do is what I learned from you. And I always go back to you saying how you was voted one of the best companies to work for. And it always goes back to what you said to me about taking out the time clocks. And that may seem like something so simple. But when I listen to my people and my business and like the, the wants and needs that they have is never really, and you you told me this too, is never really big, big things that they want. And if you give them the things that they want, they do stuff for you. I want to shout out my team just because what you said, they, it helped me understand, they realize like how hard they go for me and I could always rely on them. That's pretty cool. Right. So and I want to thank you for teaching me that because that's, I think that's why my business is starting to operate the way it's operating. Well, one of the holes you poke in in your piece of cheese when you're doing a business is finding people to work with that, like you said, will want to work with you, that sees your, that believes in you, you know, that's a big hole. And I solved that hole before I was making any money. Mm. I was always concerned about whether I was going to succeed or not. But at the end of the day, I always said to myself, I'm talking like five o'clock, you did your best today. So go home and be a family man and let it go and go on to your next thing. So a family is like a huge block of cheese. I mean, mm. you can't just do one thing because you're continually doing something. It's true. So in the process of doing something, you need to look at yourself because if you have a business, you're not work. You are managing yourself and no one's going to say to you, good job. Mm. True. Has anybody I ever call- said good job to you, Michael? N- never. I, I just I did. Call- I just did a well- no, no. Well, okay. Yes, you do. You do. You, you and and I and I actually appreciate that because you talked about nobody it. does, right? No, not in general. Like I, I like to call that the LBW, the long, lonely, boring work. No one. That's what people that become great when the superstars are in the gym working out for twenty-two hours. People only talk about the two hours that they see them on TV. All the other work that they put in, no one gives you attaboys and kudos for that. That's just what you have to do. Right. Exactly. So. When you're doing this, whatever you're doing, everything that you're doing is really eventually important because you need to figure out what to do and you're poking a hole in that big block of cheese to make it work. So as I did each thing, now I knew how to sell bears. I knew how to buy material. I had suppliers. All of that takes a lot of time. You know, building up a team, even developing a payroll system and a bookkeeper, each one of those things were really important. But I looked at it like I was failing. So I never looked at it like I was doing it. What it looked like to myself is I was just spinning my tires and going nowhere. 
Uh, and then eventually, you know, I knew we weren't doing well. And I knew that my business model or plan was to sell through other retailers wasn't working, but I didn't know it. What I thought the reason why I wasn't working was because my bears weren't selling in the right price range or they weren't as cute as the other bears. You know, they, they probably were. So then I figured out, well, I can make big bears. So I started making big, big bears, like bears for Hallmark stores and stuff. I mean, these were like seven or eight feet tall. Wow. Yeah. And you had to figure out that you can't buy a teddy bear eye. So we had to make our own eyes. And it was really like a whole system of trying to figure out how to do that. Again, I wasn't going anywhere. I felt like I was trying. And then eventually I got to a marketing system of advertising on radio that worked. And my message was basically for Valentine's Day to men, call us up and we'll set your love a, a bear. Now, we didn't have a gift material to put that bear in. You know, we didn't have a gift box. So we had to make it up again, another hole, right? Mm. Everybody came up with a different idea on how to do it. And we couldn't customize our bears that much because I just didn't have the time or the people or the experience to do that. Fast forward that thought, even three years later, I was making a thousand outfits and we could customize the bears almost anything. Okay. But the important part was the marketing message. And once I got the marketing message down, then I had a whole other hole because I got Valentine's Day figured out. But then I had March, April, May, June, and the rest of the year figured out, right? John, I want to backtrack on something because you did something cool with the box that I always loved when you put the holes in the box so the bear could breathe. Can you tell us about that? Yes. You know, I love gift giving. So my thought was this thing needs to really look like a gift. And it needs to look really different than everything else out there. So the label we printed had everybody's name that worked in the company on the outside of it. Much like I think Apple Computers did that a long time ago. And then I said, we need to poke a hole in the box so the bear could breathe. One of the guys that were working for me said, you're not serious, are you? And I <laughs> yeah, I said, we're advertising this, you know, so put the, the hole in the box. So we had a whole like UPS truck full of boxes of bears and there were no holes factored, you know. And I go, unload that truck and put the holes in it. Wow. And everybody thought I was a little bit nuts. I think the detail. It, it was a detail that sold a lot of bears. I kept making the bear into a better and better and better and better gift to the point of where the bear had chocolates with it and a really good gift card and you know it was beautifully decorated on the inside so he opened up the box he really got a gift it's awesome and again when it comes to gifts most of the gifts that we get from other people sometimes we open the gift up and go thank you very much but we just put it in the closet and don't ever use it but we know it's a gift right john wait we got my spidey sense is going crazy right now so the box how many boxes do you think was on the truck that you had to take off. And I think that's wild because those people wouldn't probably wouldn't even have known, but you wouldn't know. So I want to talk about that. Probably 500. Wow. Which was a lot for me. Well, you know, I got up to sending for Valentine's Day 56,000 bears wow. with tractor trailers coming in all day long. But I couldn't do that at first because I didn't have the people that could do all the details. So each time I added a detail on, it was work for somebody. Mm -hmm. And every time we made the box better, it was work for somebody. 
and somebody would take that work and make it better. Again, I looked at that because I by then I'd heard the Swiss cheese method and I knew I was doing the right things. And I was taking pride in what seemed to me like small things and continually just moving it along. Now, when I got probably my third factory, I learned, uh, well, first of all, I had mostly female employees, but only two bathrooms. And uh, one of the holes were trying to figure out how to buy enough toilet paper. And keeping the bathrooms clean because they were small and they weren't really made for as many employees that I had. So then I had to add on restrooms. So everything that you're doing is continually making it better and better and better and better. I love this analogy so much because I think the entrepreneurs and business owners and business professionals that are listening, when they come up against an obstacle now in business, they could just go, oh, this is another hole in the cheese. I just got to I got to poke this hole. And it's just, you just keep going. I think that's my favorite thing about when you talk about the Swiss cheese method, because it, it encompasses any part of business. And anytime you're feeling stuck, instead of getting defeated, you just know it's not the hole I got to drill. Right. I, I, think, I think that's great. You said something, two things I, I wrote down here in the beginning. You were you running a successful company at Vermont Teddy Bear and you never stop learning. You said you should always learn from others. And then the second thing you said, in the beginning, you put all that work in and nobody bought. My question would be, why do you think it's important to learn from others? Which is, I think is a silly question, but I want you to answer that one. And then like when no one was buying, what kept you going? I'll start with the second one first. Okay. When no one was buying, what kept me going was both of my grandfathers and father had their own business. And I kept imagining them struggling. And I said, if they could do it, I could do it. So I, I had belief in myself, even though I might have been the only person that had belief in myself, but I believed in myself. You know, I I believe that like before, no one's going to say you're doing a good job. And I didn't take it home to my family you might, or anything like that. I just, when I got home, it's time to coach Little League, would be a father, blah, 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 whatever. I also, which I think is really important, I also prayed a lot. And I think that people should have some kind of religion, especially if they're starting a business, because I think it's really a wonderful thing to, and I think eventually you get what you pray for. And the first thing that you asked was, why should, why should you learn from others? Well, I can tell you that I learned a lot from my employees and things like that. I learned a lot from the kids on my little league team. But when I was talking about learning from others, the people that I'm talking about were people that were they weren't teachers. They were people that had successful businesses. So one guy was, he ran a billion dollar cheese industry out of Wisconsin. And he was doing this thing at Stowe and I wanted to go up to hear what he had to say. I knew nothing about this guy, right? And he, I think it was five cheese companies. And he did some speaking but I really wasn't paying attention to things he was saying. I noticed he had like a $10,000 suit on. And he looked really good. I mean, I'm telling this guy, like, you look like money. So after the thing was over, I said, can I ask you a question? How do you keep track of everything and still have the time to come to stealth? And he said, I only pay attention to a few numbers with each of my business. And I said, wow, that makes a lot of sense. So I made up the numbers that I needed to keep track of, which are pretty much the same numbers that I think most people that have successful businesses keep track of. I can look at those five numbers at the beginning of the day, be done with my work because I knew where I was heading. You know? When you taught me that, John, I share this story so much. Like 
I used to be like, oh man, yeah, I don't sleep. I work on my business all day. And he's like, oh, that's great. I work at the teddy bear company about three to four hours a day. I go in, I look at my numbers. You always talk about the hockey stick chart. And you look to see if it's looking like a hockey stick. If not, you know what numbers you need to go look at and work and focus on those things. And that is another reason why today with standout trucking, with the, with marketing the cupcakes in the magazine, I'm able to do so much because I'm not focusing on the things that don't matter. It's just those three, four, five numbers and just make those stay where they need to go and, and go in the direction that they need to go. Right. Yeah. It's the numbers that I kept track of or how many bears I made, how much money I had in the bank and mostly how much money I took in. So I really can look at some basic numbers and get a pretty good idea of what I needed to do to mm -hmm. focus my energy. So if I wasn't making enough bears, I'd go into the bear department and say, what happened yesterday? And somebody would say, well, you know, the stuffing machine broke. I go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Or if our sales were down, I would take a look at my sales department and one person in particular in my sales department, I knew how many bears they were selling a day. And one person was number one all the time. But the problem with her was that she answered more phone calls than anybody else. So if somebody called, she didn't want to take the time to talk him into buying a bear and take the time with them. She just said, oh, all right. She took the next phone call. Ah, oh, okay. You know, and those phone calls cost me $4 and 75 cents a piece just to get the phone to ring. Mm -hmm. I can't do that anymore. You got to keep them on the phone. She didn't get paid anymore, but that was really something that needed to get fixed in the sales department. So in each case, it's kind of looking at what you need to look at. Kind of cool. So you just said something there because you're dropping so many cupcakes on this episode. I'm sure they're going to go back and listen to this multiple times. You said, and to this day, you still remember how much it costs per call, $4.75 per call. How'd you get to that number? It's really a simple number to get to. I knew how much money I spent on marketing that day. I knew by the day. In fact, I knew by the hour pretty much. And I knew how many phone calls I had coming in. So I kept track of how much money I was spending. And I kept track of the number of phone calls. A lot of times people keep track of the number of visits to a website. That, that's an important number, you know, the inquiries. But the real important number is how many converted over into a sale. Crazy, yeah. So you needed to work on those particular things. And I did, and, you know, it worked out fine. I said to the people that took the phone calls, I said, take as much time as you want. They said, well, John, what do you mean? I go, just take as much time as you want. Be friendly on the phone. Talk to anybody about anything you want to talk about. But don't just hang up. They're calling. This costs X amount of dollars per phone call. So every time you're answering the phone, it's really someone who heard our ads and responded. Now, all of our ads didn't cost, phone calls cost $475. Some of them only cost $250 and some of them cost 6 bucks. But overall, depending on the radio station, the average out to $475. So, got it. Got it. And when you're advertising on a lot of radio stations, I would then look at the radio stations. And if one radio station wasn't producing as many phone calls as I thought they should, I would say, I can't advertise with you unless you get fixed this number. Mm. How'd you keep track of which calls were coming from which station? You know, actually asked every single customer. Got it. And they would say how they heard about us, whether it was a billboard, NASCAR, Howard Stern, IMIS a lot of talk show personalities. When you're on a thousand stations, they knew what they were listening to. What they listened to. I'm not That's saying so the number simple. wasn't 
100% correct, but it was pretty close to 95% correct, Jeff. And I can apply that number. I'm kind of a math person at heart, and I can apply that number throughout the whole system. It worked really well. But I made sure that everybody asked. I made sure they knew why they needed to ask. So my sales team got paid more money than a lot of other people in the state of Vermont because they cooperated with the right way of doing it according to the way I wanted it done. And our sales exploded. We could talk about that. Oh, that could be a whole conversation on the sales team, and I think we should. But I'm going to wrap it up with this. Your sales team, did you pay them base? Did you pay commission? Did you pay salary? How were they compensated? We paid hourly. Okay. It wasn't commission-based. Commission-based is just too hard to do. So we just paid hourly. And the people that did a better job got paid more per hour. My top salespeople got paid more than people that weren't as good because I knew that they were selling more bears. Makes sense. I like that. That's cool. All right, John, this was great. You know, I always love having these conversations. I know the listeners, we haven't getting really good feedback. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm so excited. I can't even wrap it up. Time is the most valuable commodity. Thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, until the next episode, have a great day, great night, great week, working on your business and keep marketing simple. And make it easy for people to call and track and go build some Swiss cheese stuff. Let me shop my mouth. We're going to talk soon. Talk to you later. Peace.